Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And today, uh, on this Wednesday episode, we're going to talk about the purpose of biblical meditation. It's a, it's a topic that is very important to talk about today because there is so much confusion about what meditation is and should the Christian even engage in meditation. So I hope that this episode will be helpful to you. The first thing to say is that authentic Christian meditation, it's not the emptying of one's mind. Um, It doesn't pursue the the goal of losing one's personal identity in an undifferentiated union with the divine. Scripture tells us time and time again that the practice of meditation involves not forgetting the Word of God, but reading it and contemplating it, meditating on it, letting it mull over your mind and heart so that it, it might penetrate our hearts and sanctify us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, many of the Old Testament verses on uh, meditation, they're found in the Psalms, particularly in Psalm 119. And and there it exalts the virtues of the Lord's inspired teaching that makes up the canon of Scripture. Psalm 119, 97 through 104 of this psalm is particularly important for giving a thorough explanation of the kinds of things that we're to meditate on as we look at and read God's Word. In fact, in speaking of the blessings of the law of God, the, psalm, the psalmist in Psalm 119 gives us insight into the practice of meditation. And first, we're told that the commandments of the Lord make us wiser than our enemies in Psalm 119.98. It's appropriate then as we meditate on God's word. And furthermore, the psalmist also links the continual presence of the commandment with him to the wisdom it provides in Psalm 119.99. And so mulling over a portion of scripture, it needs to include the uh, asking questions and how its teaching relates to parts of our lot, every part of our lives. And second, there's an emphasis in Psalm 119, uh, 97 through 104, on hitting every false way, avoiding evil in order to keep the word. So achieving the right meaning in the application of a text as we meditate on it, it requires attention to personal holiness, a refusal to repent of known sin, and a complete failure to put the word into practice that which we already know from scripture it'll guarantee that we miss the point of what the spirit wants to teach us from the passage of scripture that we're reading finally biblical meditation should also include a consideration of the text in light of the new covenant in christ alone it says the word of god it gives us wisdom it gives us understanding we profit from it only if we read it with an open eye on who is the incarnate wisdom of god jesus christ by the spirit and in communion with the church jesus gives us the meaning of his word so meditating on a text in light of christ is more than just thinking of how it speaks to who he is and what he did. In fact, meditating on it in light of Christ, it means to consider how 
the scripture speaks to Christian ethics and even Christian theology, some of what constitutes those pure and commendable things on which we're to think, as Philippians 4, 8-9 tells us. And studying these topics can also help you meditate more profitably on scripture. You see, we were made to meditate. God designed us with the capacity to pause and to ponder. He means uh, for us not just to hear him, but to reflect and to mull over what he has to say to us from his word. A bit meditation is a distinctively human trait to stop, to consider, to chew on something with the teeth of our minds and our heart, to roll it around in our mind, in our heart, to press it deeply upon our feelings, to look at it from different angles, and to get a better sense of what it means. Well, the biblical name for all of this, as we're discussing, is meditation, which Dr. Donald Whitney says is deep thinking on truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture for the purpose of understanding application and prayer. He says that in his Spiritual Disciplines book, which I recommend you read. And it's also a marvelous means of God's grace in the Christian life. And since we're made to meditate, we shouldn't uh, be surprised that the world's religions have seized upon the activity. And, and even new schools try to make uh, use of its practical effects, whether to cultivate brain health or even lower blood pressure. But Christian meditation is different than, than the meditation properly co-opted in various non-Christian systems. It doesn't entail emptying our minds, it rather it entails filling our minds with biblical and even theological substance, truth outside of ourselves, and chewing on that content that comes from the Word of God. And so for the Christian, meditation means having the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16 says. It's not like secular meditation, doing nothing and being tuned into your own mind at the same time. It's the feeding of our minds on the words of God and digesting them slowly, savoring their texture, enjoying what they're saying to us, cherishing the flavor of what it offers to us in the Word of God. And so meditation that's truly Christian is guided by the gospel, it's shaped by the scripture, it's relying on the Holy Spirit, and it's exercised in faith in Christ alone. And maybe it's the multiplied distractions of modern life. And we're going to talk this this month on a Wednesday episode about fighting distractions in Bible reading. But for now, it's enough to say maybe it is the multi multiplied distractions of, of modern life, the increasing impairments of sin corruption. But meditation is more a lost art today than it than it was for our fathers in the faith. We're told in Genesis 24:63, Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward the evening. And three of the most important texts in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, among others, they call for meditation in such a way that we need to sit up, we need to take notice, and we need to block out the distractions, we need to slow down, and we need to give it some serious consideration. And the first one is Joshua 1.8. This is at a key juncture in redemptive history, just following the death of Moses, God himself. <coughs> God himself, he speaks to Joshua. And three times, in Joshua 1.6, Joshua 1.7, and Joshua 1.9, he gives him the clear directive God does to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. And how is he to do this? Where would he fill his tank with such strength and courage meditation? Joshua 1.8 says, this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. 
See, God means not for Joshua to be merely familiar with the book, the Bible, or that he has read through sections of it quickly in the morning, but that he be captivated by it. He build his life on it, on its truths. His spare time should go there. His idle mind should gravitate there. God's word of instructions are to saturate his life, give him directions, shape his life, form his patterns, feel his affections, and inspire his action. And then there's two more texts in the Bible uh, that, that come to us. Uh, if the first in the Psalms, that's the longest. Psalm 1, 1 through 2 echoes the language of Joshua 1, Joshua 1 saying this, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The blessed one, the happy one, who delights in God's word, he, he doesn't avail himself of the words of life with some quick uh, reading, but he meditates on it day and night. And meditation, it dominates, as we have already discussed, Psalm 119, and its celebration of the words of God. As the psalmist says, he meditates day and night on your precepts, in Psalm 119, uh, 15 and 78, on your statues. In Psalm 119, 23 and, and 48, on your wondrous works. In Psalm 119, 27, he explains in Psalm 119, 99, your testimonies are my meditation. Psalm 119, 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. So if God's old covenant instructions could be so precious to the psalmist, how much more should the new covenant gospel captivate our meditation? And you, so you see, meditation on the scripture ha has occupied a deep and enduring place in the history of the church as one of uh, God's people's most enjoyed means of God's grace for his people. And so in particular, the Puritans celebrated the gift of meditation as much as any, and, and they drew attention to its vital relationship between hearing God's voice, intaking the word of God, and, and having his ear, in, which is in prayer. And Don Whitney, in, in his classic book, The Spiritual Disciplines, he quotes several prominent uh, Puritans to the effect that meditation is a missing link between Bible intake and prayer. And in doing so, he moves us into some practical counsel for Christian meditation. William Bridge says, Begin with reading or hearing, go on with meditation, end in prayer. Thomas Manton says, The word feedeth meditation, and meditation feedeth prayer. Meditation must follow hearing and precede prayer. What we take in uh, by the word, we digest by meditation and let out by prayer, he says. Thomas Watson says this, the reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fires of meditation. William Bates says the great reason why our prayers are ineffectual is because we do not meditate before them. And so meditation for the Christian is a discipline that has a certain function related to the other disciplines. It doesn't stand alone. It's not sealed from God's revelation of himself in the Bible and our reverential response to him in prayer. Rather, meditation, it bridges a gap between hearing from God and speaking to God. In meditation, we pause, we reflect over the words of God. We roll them over in our minds. We let them ignite our hearts. We warm ourselves at the fires of meditation. We pose questions. We seek out answers. We go deep in God's revelation. We take it into our very souls. And, and as we're being ch changed by the truth, we respond to the Lord in prayer. As Matthew Henry says, as meditation is the best test for, prep for prayer, so prayer is the best issue 
of meditation. Now, Christian meditation is less about the posture of our bodies. It's more about the posture of our soul. Our main points aren't sit on the floor with your legs crossed or sit in a chair with both feet on the floor, your back straight, palms facing upward. Christian meditation, it begins with our eyes on the Bible, our ears open to what the Word is teaching us, and to a mind stocked with memorized scripture. We need to start with some broader, broader Bible reading from which we select a particular verse or even a phrase that catches our attention and carve out a several minutes to go deep into it. Then, then with intentionality and, and focus, often best with pen in hand or fingers on the keys, we seek to better understand God's word, to warm our soul at its fire, and to let us lead us into prayer and then into the day. In our restless and stressed out society, it very well may strengthen our brain and lower our blood pressure to practice the art of Christian meditation. But even more significant will be the good that it is for our soul. So how do we meditate? Well, consider one approach. Prepare your mind and your heart, pause and ponder and press it home. To these, we might also add a brief but necessary prequel to pick a place and a time as part of your daily Bible reading. And though Bible, and though meditation is only uh, one act, it's also a, day, a lifestyle, a day and night type thing. The lifestyle develops from regularly, even daily, uninterrupted times of focused meditation. Now, some may find such times in short supply. I understand. But you see, those who make the needed sacrifices for even brief periods of meditation will find more often than not the benefits to compensate for their losses. And having picked a time and then a place, we're ready to prepare our minds and hearts. John Owen describes a familiar experience in meditation in his works. He says, I began to think of God, of his love, of his grace in Christ Jesus, of my duty towards him, and where now in a few minutes do I find myself? I, I am got unto the ends of the earth, he says. Meditations on the love of God can quickly become meditations on lunch or even chores or even emails. Part of our preparation is to expect difficulty. And meditation, guys, revo- requires resolve, the kind that says with Psalm 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. See, the psalmist fixed the eyes of his mind on God's word, refusing to look at shiny objects of their phone or anything like that. The psalmist instead riveted his attention, barred the doors against distractions, expelled intruding thoughts. And when he finds his mind wandering, his eyes unfixed, he he didn't give up. He doesn't roll over. He's focused uh, on the word. And more than that, the psalmist says he prayed. Past and present experiences reveal his insufficiency for meditation. And so he pleads in Psalm 119, 18, 25, 27, 29, 32, and 35 to 37. Open my eyes, he says, give me life, make me understand, teach me, enlarge my heart, lead me, incline my ears, turn my eyes, and on and on. And so these are attempt, those who attempt prayerless meditation refuse not only Saul's armor, they also refuse David's sling. Unarmed, they wrestle the Goliath of distraction alone. Mature meditators of Scripture learn not to faint at the first temptation towards distraction or even the one millionth, and they learn that, that relying on resolve alone will not help them. Meditation and Bible reading are not the same activity. 
Meditation begins when we pause over a particular passage and begin to ponder it, mull it over in our minds. And perhaps that that arrests us, it, it gets our attention in Bible reading, or perhaps we return to it once we've finished a passage. We begin to think on the specific glory uh, as we search, as we examine, as we observe, or as we understand Scripture. So thinking a truth out loud can, can take any number of forms. If we just finish Psalm 1 and want to meditate on the first part of verse 2, which says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, we might then, for example, write the verse slowly. Or we might even read the verse repeatedly, each time emphasizing a different word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the land. Or we might force ourselves to ask questions. How does the law of the Lord relate to the counsel of the wicked in verse 1? Why does the psalmist say his delight is in the law of the Lord rather than in the Lord himself? Don't be afraid to speak out loud. The word for meditate carries the idea of speech, and hence why translators sometimes render it tell, utter, or even mutter. mutter. In Psalm 35, 28, 37, 30, and Isaiah 8, 19. And this is why God says to Joshua in Joshua 1, 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. And so try speaking God's word out loud as well, which, if nothing else, may help you uh, with your attention. Now, third, press it home. Some may be tempted to stop here, but thinking out loud, it's only part of meditation because you see a heart that understands God's word may still feel cold to God's word. It may experience some light, but without heat. And so after thinking a truth out loud, we think it in, pressing it home into our hearts. Now, preaching the gospel or preaching the word to yourself, it may sound like a a worn-out application, but for all of our familiarity with the idea, we, we actually need to, to see that the, the practice may actually be largely unpracticed or, or perhaps try briefly, but then lay it aside. Either way, it's one of the most powerful methods of pressing God's truth home. It's heralding it home. Richard Baxter says, imitate the most powerful preacher you ever heard. How, how regularly do you stand in the pulpit of your own soul preaching the truth to yourself during devotions? How often do you take a truth at hand and play the role of, of the psalmist or even the prophet, not for someone else, but for yourself? How frequently do you rebuke your unbelief, declare God's fixed truth to your own fluctuating feelings? and strive to preach fire into your cold heart. You see, meditation is not only for the burning, zealous Christian, it's for those who know they're not. Meditation is for those who, like the author of Psalm 119, can say in Psalm 119, 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep, whether for a day, a week, or even a month. You see, the same prone to wander psalmist says four times to myself, and with himself, I will meditate. In Psalm 119, 15, 27, 48 and 78. I will meditate because you see, I know my heart needs warmth. I will meditate because I know how I go astray. I will meditate because I need to see the glory of God in the word of God. I will meditate because he alone can rekindle my delight. So blessed, happy are those who say the same according to Psalm 1, 1 through 2. Well, I want to thank you for listening or even watching this episode of the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Until next Monday or Wednesday, may God richly bless you and keep you.
Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.